0: man how you doing
1: hey kyle how's it going it's going great how, how was your week uh it was pretty good and today's been an interesting day <laughs> yeah why's it been so interesting uh, i just feel it's like one of the uh, the friday uh one of those fridays man a lot happened and uh today was suddenly just the culmination of a lot of activity just getting done finally so it feels good
0: yeah i agree i think uh i mean today overall for me great day great day <laughs> Why are you laughing?
1: I'm laughing because I came to the office a little late today and I the guys have reorganized everything. And it's the guys? A,
0: well, uh, the,
1: the two guys I work
0: with. Why don't you ask me how involved I was in the reorganization of the office?
1: How involved were you? Not at all. <laughs> I was not involved. Basically what happened... So for, Leo did a bunch of really cool rearranging to make the office look a lot better. It's debatable how cool the rearranging is. Look, it's not that...
0: I don't think it's good to do a little reorganization of the office. I'm actually very pro pro change the office layout. I love it. I was actually known as when I ran teams, I was known as the guy who just rotated seating all the time. I love I love the change. It's just lack of thoughtfulness that that hurts me inside. You know, I'd like there to be
1: a method to the madness not just madness yeah, madness is, is okay sometimes it's a, uh, it yeah. works it's good good balance it does work well <clears throat>
0: startup growth podcast <laughs> are we really here to talk about our office layout a little bit i think it is um, a good topic to touch on but what do we really want to talk about today dan why don't you give us the summary
1: okay uh so i think today we're going to talk a little bit about um the building of a structured organization in the right way and some communication best practices transparency and maybe even touch on uh on how to fire people also the right way. I love it. Yeah. Especially I think the best place to start is around
0: organization structure because early on a lot of startups have very flat organizations. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know, if you aren't familiar with that term, basically a flat organization, not a lot of hierarchy. You don't have mid-level management. It's typically everybody reports to the CEO and founder, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And early on, it's actually a requirement, right? You can't afford very much mid-level management, but some startup companies try to keep that flat level of organization for longer than they should. And I personally see a lot of value in having hierarchy.
1: Okay, go into that a little bit more. What's the, what's the difference? Where does that come in? Tell me, tell me more. So the difference is, do you have leaders
0: that are dedicated leaders? I'm not talking about blended jobs. I'm not a huge fan of the player coach role. I'm talking about dedicated leaders in charge of specific departments. So we talk a lot about sales. And one of the things I see way too often is you'll have, maybe you even have a sales leader, but a lot of times you have the founder, there's three AEs, three SDRs, they all report to the founder and then the founder brings somebody on to manage that team. Sometimes it's a VP of sales title or a head of sales title. Sometimes it's just a sales manager that they also will have the SDRs roll up into. And then they scale and they start to scale. And what happens is that sales manager is now running a team of six AEs and five SDRs, let's say, or six and six. Now they have 12 people reporting to them. And have to do everything that they need to in order to do a good job. They are responsible for forecasting. They're working directly with the CEO on the growth plan, coaching, training, and it's, there's two totally different teams there. And this person has 12 direct reports, which would be a lot if it was all one team. So the challenge that I have is if you allow your company to go too long at such a with such a flat organizational structure, what you run into is just people who aren't doing a good job of leading, creates a ton of dysfunction within a team.
1: So I uh, totally agree. But when do you know, when is the right time to start uh, moving away from the traditional sort of, uh, you know, a couple of dudes in a garage uh, and, you know, add some structure to, uh, I guess, mid management leadership, siloed teams? When do you know to do that? Look, part of it's going to be cost, right? Because if you're, if you
0: don't have the money, then you just can't do it. But typically what I would do is I would look at A team and I try to better understand how unified they are on their process so are we following a similar process are the SDRs how do they have similar distribution between calls emails and LinkedIn let's say are they performing very similarly if they're not typically it's a leadership issue now I'm also one of those people who are pretty fanatical about blaming leadership for the company's problems very fanatical about that. I think almost all problems are solved by good leadership. So once you start seeing dysfunction within your team, then I think it's time to start thinking about dedicated leadership.
1: So maybe get into that a little bit more. What does dysfunction look like in practice? What's an example or two of, of the type of dis- dysfunction and maybe overwhelm that, um, you know, what does it look like and how should you then react to it? So it comes in a
0: lot of, I think a lot of different forms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my favorite books on this topic is five dysfunctions of a team, which had been recommended to me, gosh, by so many people who, who run so many different leaders. And I had it on my list for a long time. And then finally was like, okay, let me read this book recently. And it had a huge, huge impact on me. So I can list off some of the five dysfunctions mm-hmm. here. Cause this is, the most recently a framework that I've discovered that I think does a pretty good job so the first is the absence of trust Now this one's pretty easy to spot Mm -hmm. if if there's bad mouthing you know behind each other's back like as a leader you typically you you typically run into that sort of stuff Um, so the absence of trust is a big one the other one is the fear of conflict if nobody speaks up in your meetings then Mm -hmm. odds are there's a fear of conflict I think it's really healthy to have this culture of open debate where people feel comfortable having a back-and-forth dialogue and and not agreeing with each other so we don't have to agree on everything Mm -hmm. right like all you Leo and I we may all have a disagreement right we often do and sometimes what we do is act against somebody else's opinion because as long as we all support each other we're in a good good place you know we might disagree with how we get somewhere but I'm willing to say, all right, give it a shot. You you two think that this is a better way to go. I think it's this other direction. That's fine. Let's try your guys' way. And we can always change later. It's not a big deal. If the worst case scenario is we waste a little bit of money, not that big of a deal, you know. So uh, fear of conflict is a big one. So that's the mm-hmm. second dysfunction. The third one is lack of commitment. Okay, okay. <laughs> this is political speak. So you hear this at some startups pretty often. Where like. You hired somebody who has a ton of experience and they were at a bigger company before. Mm. That's typically when you will run into this because that person knows how to kind of protect their own world. Yep. And through protecting their own world, they'll like not take ownership over certain projects. They'll kind of speak in tongues is what I call mm-hmm. it. You know, where people speak very cyclically. Circularly? Isn't it cyclical? Circular. Circularly. I think so. Ooh, this is gross. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the word is for this. <laughs> um, gosh, man, we should have just done better in school and then we wouldn't have had this interaction. I thought this was like circular logic. Yeah, it's like circular logic. Speaking in circles. Beautiful. That's a that's a good one. Next name of my book is called speaking in circles. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so people who speak in circles, right? And like you feel like you never got anywhere. Like if your meeting is ending with a clear next step and a clear action item for people yeah. involved in the meeting, then like someone speaking in circles, you know, cause we're not getting anywhere. So lack of commitment is a big problem. Avoidance of accountability. So if people have projects they're supposed to be working on and they just don't finish them and no one holds them accountable, it's not good. Why are you laughing so hard
1: I'm laughing? Cause, uh, that might've happened this week, uh, with, uh, moi. Um, yeah, so, uh, I, I definitely relate. I can, I can see these, uh, Okay, tell us more. This is an important dysfunction. I want you to open up to our audience mm, about Sure. It. It's interesting. So I think what I hear from you also and how these things come out sometimes is in overwhelm. And if you are getting lost in, uh, in projects and not doing a good job delegating, which I think that the primary thing that I was doing really from a couple of weeks ago, I think I got to a good space in the last two weeks. But before then, there were a couple of lingering projects that did not get done properly. And it was was my fault, but it was because I hadn't made use of the team the way that I now make use of the team. Um, So I think this is just you know it's another example of of that transition that you make from being totally flat to not being flat anymore and having people you know within departments, uh, growing departments that are that are being birthed so to speak right now, right? Right. And (laughs) we talked about this. I think Leo uh, mentioned this couple times when I first joined was that every month feels like a year you know we yeah. make so much so much progress right right but along the way you know it uh, if you're not building the structures to get to the next stage you are uh, setting yourself up for potential stress and chaos and you know yeah. uh, a drop in quality well and the danger of this that you may run into is that if you
0: are taking on the project and you're, and you're not delegating there's no one holding you accountable right? Like I hold you accountable to stuff that you tell me that it's going to get done. Mm-hmm. Right. But there's all these things that you're working with your team on that I'm not aware of that if no one else is holding you accountable to, they may just never get done. Sure. Right. And your to-do list will just get crazy and then you'll, they'll end up falling off mm-hmm. versus when you delegate, you can actually hold people accountable to getting the things done. And even though you're fully capable of doing it, it's almost better to give it to somebody else oh, because you can hold them accountable
1: to completion. I think especially in, when we talk about leadership and the growth of these various places. if you are actually doing the fulfillment work yourself, you're you're by definition not making use of your team when we have those people at yeah, our true. fingertips. Some Some people don't have that. Some orgs don't have that yet, but we do. And there's no excuse, therefore, in my mind for me to not be passing off you know these uh, the projects and the various specific areas of each project to the right people at the right time because a, I fully trust everybody everybody's perfectly capable of following through the right way right so why is it not why is it not being passed off to them you know
0: yeah and i think sometimes it feels a little weird to give someone else something to do especially like when like sometimes things are just pretty simple and it, it feels like something that oh, i can just knock this out real quick and that's a slippery slope because yep. even though it might be like a simple thing that would take 15 minutes it's in my opinion, better to give it to somebody else than for you to do it yourself, because you have so many other priorities. And me too. I'm not speaking about you specifically, sure. just in general. As leaders, you have so many different priorities. That's something that takes 15 minutes. That's pretty simple. You'll push off, mm-hmm. right? Like you know where I run into this the most, which is like kind of annoying, is uh, with following up with with sales. So I do all of the sales until recently I did all of the servicing as well. And that was very, very difficult. And what would happen is I would not follow up very much. And the follow-up email takes me five minutes to put together. It is not a crazy task. But because it's so simple, I deprioritize it. And then Declan stepped in sort of helping me manage the sales pipeline. Mm -hmm. And I just tell him, can you send that follow-up email?
1: This is so I've also been working with declan on 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 in a similar kind of i guess capacity here and mm-hmm. there, but he's been so good about forcing me to then processize and systematize what's going on, and he's uh he's been a lot better than I've been about following through with that kind of stuff, which is fantastic so what's an example of? Like, just tell us more about that. Sure. So, I mean, one example is a follow-up email. He's very good at just making sure that everything gets covered and, you know, the notes are, are taken well and then in, turned into next steps. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's one very small example. We have another one that I think is happening right now inside of the marketing department. Uh, we've, we've talked about this now a couple times with the guys in the Philippines and um, a couple other, I think, yeah, I, I was speaking with Rex about this actually, um, where myself included, a couple of us who are now on the Voris team full-time were spent a long time as either freelancers or consultants, basically soloists. You know, we right. had our own businesses. We were doing our own thing.
0: And a lot of founders are like this too.
1: And a lot of startup teams also yeah. are like that. I worked with a consultant. I want to g- grab that person. And we go deeper and deeper into the relationship. Eventually, they join the team. But there's a little mindset mindset shift that I sort of knew academically was there. But until you're in practice doing it, I wasn't really ready for it or it caught me off guard a little bit and that shift is going from being a soloist where you really are responsible for everything yourself and you you ask for things for, with the client in a sort of very you have to be very careful with the capital that you're spending with the client so mm-hmm. if i have five things that i want to get done within those five things five assets from the client i want to have them create i can't go you know ask them to go off and make me five videos but maybe i can go and ask them to make one you know right. so you you learn to limit yourself in terms of how much you ask for other people to give you stuff in the project and you just kind of go off and get the project done that the shift going from that to now being as part of a full-time team that's dedicated that's long-term that's everybody's here to stay everybody's committed everybody's been here for a while that whole sort of mentality it's like no guys like we, we don't have to we don't have to be careful with what we're asking for let's put it out there if it's if it's design a Rex like you're the you are the go-to guy you lead us on this uh, don't ask me questions on it anymore you know just let's yeah. let's go a little bit quicker and a little bit more um, is that is am I might am be clear on that you're that totally being clear
0: I mean the idea is giving I mean we're since we're in context here of the um, the five dysfunctions of a team that accountability piece is really important and when you give people ownership and you hold them accountable to whatever they're supposed to be working on, that's a really powerful thing. One of my favorite leadership books is Extreme Ownership by Jocko mm. Willink. And um, I think it, it's a fantastic book. And my biggest takeaway from it is the idea you got to let other people own what you're giving them responsibility of. And and see, it's very hard.
1: That that's, that's also a difference here. One thing is delegating a task versus truly giving out ownership very to have point. the thing get done overall. So am I asking for just, you know, Yes, can you please move the cursor from here to here, you know, something really super simple or am I saying, "Hey, can you make sure that the website is just up?" And, you know, right. up the right way. That kind of thing. And it's um it it is a it's a, it's a very small detail or at least it is on paper, but the way that it comes out cuz, you know, often when we talk about like a lack of accountability, it comes across as like that's, it, it, it's it it's it's almost like there's a malicious kind of element to it where we're like, "Oh, you must have meant something terrible by this. And, and right, often right. it's just a lack of a little bit of structure and a little bit of cultural sort of presence. Um,
0: yeah. So yeah. it's, it's
1: not always, it's not always with ill intent that it's there, but it will come up if you're not ready for it.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. I, I, look, I, I think if you give people ownership, you're going to get a better product, whatever <laughs> that looks like. Right. You know, I think of today we had an, uh, an issue where one of, um, one of the folks on our servicing team couldn't make one of the calls and the other other parts of the team stepped up, did it themselves. I didn't find out that there was an issue until after it had already been solved by the time I found out about it. I was like, good job guys. Like, you know, you didn't, your first instinct wasn't call Kyle and have him help us solve this problem. It was, can we solve this problem without Kyle? And then it wasn't even conscious. Like he wasn't thinking, let me try to solve this without Kyle.
1: He had ownership of the role and was like, I need
0: to solve this. So I'm not gonna call Kyle to figure it out. <laughs> it,
1: that, that is such a, it's a beautiful little moment. I mean, right. it, not to, not to over dramatize it, but like it, th- these, are, these are signals of good things happening at, at a company, this one happens to be ours. But uh, the, uh, I'll give you another example that, that happened with uh, recently with, with my team, watching a couple, a couple of folks especially go from asking for stuff to showing up ready with like new ideas, different stuff. And I think that's a little shift. If if you're if you're used to interacting with your team and just you're the one it's a one directional flow of ideas. Please do this, go do this, this and this. That's not making use of the human capital that you have as a team, right? That that's by definition we're kind of like we're we're batting at a low uh, average here. Yeah. Um, but if you can foster an environment where people start to come up with their own ideas and start pitching stuff to you more than you're pitching to them, I think that's a very healthy balance. And they're used, they're, they expect not everything's gonna go through, not everything is, You know, I'm not gonna be, my ego's not gonna be hit if not every single one of my ideas turns into a finished product. But as a team, we're collaborating on ideas to kind of get things out there. Um, I think that comes with a little bit of experience. But if you again, if you don't foster it, if you don't actively work for this and make sure that you encourage people to do this um, and that it's well-received, you have to work for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we go to the, uh, the next dysfunction here? So we talked about just to do a quick recap, the absence of trust, the fear of conflict, the lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability. And then the final one here is inattention to results, mm-hmm. which is obviously a big deal. I think we, you know, like in general, we, tend to look at results pretty well like we're kind of wired to right like if we're going to do something what's the intended consequence of that activity but as you start moving away from super tangible results, it somewhat somewhat gets difficult. Like for example, um, everyone looks at the revenue number, Mm -hmm. right? But do you look at how many meetings are taking place? Like how many, like what's your sales reps workload right now? Like what's the results we're expecting from our sales team? Like the, as far as leading indicators, not just lagging indicators like deals closed, right? So there's certain things that I think are really important. Like for us, what are we choosing to measure? At the end of the day, from each department, and are we holding folks accountable to those metrics? But are are we also paying attention to the results, and are those measurable? And I think that's um, an important piece that I surprisingly see people less focused on outside of sales. In sales, I think we're very results, uh, results focused.
1: I think that's right. I think the, I mean, it is it's very easy to attach a dollar sign to, to stuff uh, in in performance, especially when your own comp is related to that stuff. I think everybody gets. Uh, triggered in a good way to go kind of go you know track things but it is true also when we look at different sizes of organizations Mm -hmm. when it's just a couple of us in a room kind of working on a small project we're all going to see it we're all going to sort of be there you know we're all wearing kind of the same hat it's blended it's all that stuff it's it's almost easy to get away with it at that point because everybody's sharing the everything but when we start going into you know this bigger structure and maybe a bigger org a bigger you know a bigger set of teams um I think you've got to be ready to play around with those KPIs because not everything is gonna is gonna work from day one I mean, yeah I think in the last couple of months I've changed my own a couple of times you've changed mine a few times um, it's a uh, but I mean that's part of the the process it's you know you, you don't know really what's gonna work when we're dealing with a I guess outside of sales departments
0: yeah it is difficult sales that's one of the nice things about sales it's so math driven and you can argue most organiz- parts of organizations are math driven, but it is difficult. You know, like you, the customer success, you look at churn. Churns also, like we look at a lot of lagging indicators. You know, that's true. And I think there's there's a there's a tremendous amount of value in looking at leading indicators. And I just don't know at the early stage how often I see that because I I do not see as often as I feel like is correct. People looking really at the leading indicators for whatever final result, result they're trying to look for
1: also these things change so quickly along I mean we, we changed so much since I joined in June I mean just the, this has just been my experience of just like the so many shifting phases of the business right that the indicators by definition should also be shifting to catch up with our, our short-term goals for you know that support the longer term stuff so maybe just a simpler way to do that if you're wondering about what to track as long as you have process oriented goals for your team. I think that's where the leading indicators are often hidden somewhere in there. For mm-hmm. example, uh, on my side, it, it's going to be a lot of uh, promotion oriented publication. So um, like I asked you to slow down the, the, the blog publication stuff in order to build a promotional system. And I think that system is now a little bit closer to being in place. Next up is we're going to be email focused, but right as people now have ownership over each area of this thing, I can kind of let it go a little bit. Everybody has process oriented goals. Everybody knows what pace we should be, you know, sort of keep at. And um, I think that's the best way to, I'd rather set up healthy process oriented uh, or healthy processes um, with an eye towards what I think is going to work and educated guess about the outcome um, rather than look for the outcome and just, and not know how we got there. If that right, makes sense?
0: Right. Well, I want to double click on something here because you were talking about one of your priorities is getting a promotional uh, engine, What did you call it? Promotional. I
1: don't know what I called it. Process, system. Whatever process, system. Yeah, sure.
0: Uh, up and running. The result is having that up and running. Yes. And the dysfunction of inattention to results would be not for the rest of the team to not also be focused as that being your result and working to help you achieve that result. That's where the dysfunction comes in just to like add some clarity and then round out what we're talking about here is you are striving for a specific result. Our job as your, as a team here is to help you achieve said result. And if we don't pay attention to your progress against that result and also our own influence on that result, that's where the dysfunction comes in because you silo and you're not a team. You're just staying in your own little silo, focusing on your own world.
1: Yeah. That's a good, that's a good clarification.
0: Anyway. So I think the book is worth reading. Um, we kind of got here and where I wasn't expecting to talk about five dysfunctions of a team but ultimately leadership is such an important component of an organization and it suffers dramatically at the earlier stage typically when people start getting around the 30 people mark is when i start seeing leadership really get tested early on the founders know everybody so it's very easy like you're talking to people a lot There's not very many people to keep track of the priorities are typically a little bit simpler as you get to thirty people, forty people, fifty people, now this becomes difficult.
1: Yeah, I don't think I've ever really seen that specific moment. Um so I, I've I've the teams that I've worked with in the past are either very small or a little bit larger, like I'd say on like the hundred people kind of mark. So mm. you know, t- talking about that that sweet spot between like thirty to fifty ish like that. I don't think I have a ton of experience of that. I've I've have seen them. Um, I've I've had a couple clients, but I I have to think back to to and you're I think you're right. The 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 cultural moments there. There's a little more stress actually now that I think about that. I have two two examples in my in my head right now. The small sample size, but uh, let's say stressed out everybody. Yeah. Um, not just leadership, but everybody on the team um, didn't know what was happening.
0: Right. Well, onboarding talent is so difficult. You don't know if you had, you know, Gary Vee says, and I, I don't know if this is originally his quote. Um, he said, hiring is guessing, firing is knowing.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: And it's a good, it's, it's a good quote. I definitely agree with it. We do everything we can to try to hire the right people. But one of the reasons why, in my opinion, it gets stressful as you start scaling up to like, the, once you get to the 30 person mark, I've been at a company when we went from, you know, we were like in, I joined around 20 and I ended up leaving around 55, I think, maybe 60 at the highest. So I saw that journey and I was very close. I worked directly with the founder and um, or one of the founders, the CEO I, I reported to. And it was interesting to watch him change over the growth, during the growth of the company. Because mm. once we got to 40 people, he was a very different leader before he was very passionate very hands-on it's probably just his nature he prefers to lead that way but as you start getting more sophisticated as an organization you have to start relying on the people below you kind of the middle level mid-level management to execute and he struggled deeply with that and he would he kind of clammed up and he would just be working quietly to himself he stopped talking to people yeah, like totally lost his spark and then people lost faith in him as a leader. Like the whole thing totally broke down. And it really came down to him not being able to make that transition mm. from that small team and a very flat organization to actually adding some some structure. There's a reason why really large companies have a lot of layers of management. Of course. It's just the, it's the right way of doing things. And I see a lot of startup companies stay flat for too long. And that's a, that's a mistake in my opinion.
1: That's a really good, good, uh, good point, actually. Like now that I think about it, some of the, again, from the consulting world, from the soloist world, there's some really great stuff that happens there. And, you know, there's a, there's a book called Company of One by Paul Jarvis, which talks about, you know, basically staying small on purpose and, you know, creating a very successful financially great business, but just on purpose, not, not trying to grow out a, a big team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and understanding part of it is personality, part of it is lifestyle choices, part of it is financial goals. You know, there, there's all kinds of things that go into it, but as long as you're conscious about the, the thing that you wanna build, it becomes a lot healthier, usually, about, you know, how you get there. It gives you yourself a, a kind of a clear goal. Um that's actually I remember one of the first questions I asked you and Leo when I first joined was what that sort of vision was structurally like a year from now 2 years from now 5 years from now like what is what is the goal are we going to be just a, a bunch of you know a couple of ninjas in an office sort of working together or are we going to be a big team kind of uh, and you know trying to really dominate a space uh, within a space here um and I think that was a very interesting uh, sort of marker for me and also it signaled to me certain things that you know the fact that you guys had clarity around that was was what I was looking for. Um, mm-hmm. It was very. I, I've run into, into into situations before where it is clear to me that the people who are running things did not expect to be where they were. Mm-hmm. Either too small and they wanted to be bigger, or too big and they really wanted to be smaller. Yeah, that I've, happens more than you think. Uh, it happens all the time. You and, know,
0: I you just I'm all in on this Kanye documentary. <laughs> I keep bringing it up. And you, have you watched the first? Have you watched the first episode? I have not. You see, you're letting your own bias against Kanye West, a cultural icon, stop you from watching one of
1: the best documentaries. No, I'm of all letting time. my own bad management from three weeks ago, <laughs> which has caught up with me now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Kill up my time. That's why. I see. I'll I get see. to it next week. You will. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm going to hold you accountable because that's
0: one of the five dysfunctions.
1: Okay, so
0: (laughs) hear me out here. Hit me. Kanye West. He says something in the second episode that was so powerful. It gave me chills. Okay, which first of all, this documentary has done nothing but give me chills. I mean, seeing somebody (laughs) so driven and so filled with self-belief is incredibly inspiring. Incredibly inspiring. But anyway, so he says, and this is in line with that. You know, he wins the Grammy. And have you seen his Grammy speech?
1: I mean, is is it the one where he uh, he kind of like uh, hip-checked uh, Taylor Swift for the... First
0: of all, why are you bringing up the negative side is, of Is him? that it? No, that's not his uh, Grammy speech. That's him interrupting. Oh, the actual... His, his, his actual... actually, he actually okay. won for College Dropout. Oh, no. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> trying to disrespect <laughs> Kanye too much. I'm here to defend him. It um, <clears throat> is a pretty amazing documentary. Any, anyway, so, first of all, to close the loop on the on the Grammy speech, he goes and thanks a bunch of people, right? And then he says, you know, like, you guys are probably all like, you know, he's like, a lot of people wanted to know, like, what would you do if you did not win the Grammy? And he pauses and the audience is kind of looking at him and he goes, he's holding his hands and he goes, I guess we'll never know. Which is a powerful, powerful uh, the quote for your grammy speech everyone wanted to know what i'd do if i didn't win i guess we'll never know like so freaking cool but here's the quote that i that gave me chills an interviewer asked him are you like did you always know that you were gonna like did you believe that you were ever going to be able to win a grammy you know and like what's it like now knowing that you got it and he said the problem is i told other people and they didn't believe
1: Mm-hmm Wow, okay, that's... All right, that one hit me. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, yeah, that's the powerful... Uh, that's uh, a powerful quote. Yep.
0: I, I told uh, other people, and they didn't believe.
1: Let, let me, let me uh, pause you on this on this topic for a second. I know we're jumping around a little it's my bit. my favorite topic, so yes. But this, this thing of... Uh, do you have people in your life who in the recent... Like, let's say in the last two or three years, who you've had to either cut out or sort of just turn the volume down a little bit on because of this specific issue. You started Voris. You're, you know, you've got this dream that you're building that, you know, that now we're all part of this thing, but for you specifically, especially maybe the last year, maybe the year before when things were a little bit tougher. Um, do you have anybody who ran into you that was not behind you? Interesting question. Um,
0: Not really. You know, um, I feel like people... Most of the people I keep around me have known me for a while. And I don't... As far as like close network stuff, and you know this about me, I keep a pretty close network and i try not to i let no negativity into my life like i do not hang out with people who are detractors and if they are i just stop hanging out with them so nobody would publicly or like to my face have any sort of doubt in what i'm working on i had people who would say like oh are you worried about this and this yeah. and you know sort of like kind of soft stuff but nobody directly i've had in historically i have but most people who've worked with me before are like they were kind of like of course kyle's gonna make a you know, create a company that's going to be successful. Like, no one was surprised when we had a lot of traction. They're like, "Oh, of course."
1: So, I, this is something I actually literally noticed about the people who I've met around you. And it is like, I mean, the people I've met probably a very small group of of you know people within your wider group, but it it struck me from early on that everybody is in their own way, kind of a little bit nuts about their thing, whatever their thing is, and and in general. Very positive about right. you know, every. I don't think that's normal, and there, I want to call it out for a second because okay, so the, the Kanye thing maybe that that's part of it. Right. But I think when people go off to start businesses, and you know this is the Start of Growth podcast, right? Right. There is so much negative energy on with an average person's relationships. Yeah. So much detraction, so much, and what that does to somebody mentally day after day, it's a real thing. It's a one hundred percent a real thing that it pulls people down and i um so yeah i, I think it's, it's it's interesting maybe to like take a little bit of a self audit and look around you i've had to do this multiple times Yeah, where it's super I, important I, and i i'm not very good at saying no to people so you know it was like hey you want to go out tonight and you want to go to... Like, oh yeah sure, sure why not yeah. but if that person is going to be one of these people that brings up the negativity about stuff you know it's a it's funny how that bleeds into the next day at work and then if that happens totally. every weekend or every couple you know couple sessions with these people It's dangerous, man.
0: Yeah, well, you know where I have a couple of thoughts on this, but you know where it comes up the most. Where I do now that we've talked about this, I do have a strong memory of this. You'll talk about your business, and if you're startup founder, you're probably in the same boat. But early on in Forest, I didn't pay myself, and Leo didn't pay himself either, and we didn't pay ourselves. I think for ten months before we actually started taking any sort of money, and I remember early on people would ask me, "Are you paying yourself yet? Are you paying yourself yet?" And it's a weird thing to ask. It's really like them, like it's it's kind of their barometer of if you're you're Successful. achieving any sort of yeah. success, yeah. And then I remember when I finally was able to say yes to that question. No, no more questions about monetary anything. And in a way, like that is a little bit of doubt because everybody wants to start a business in subcapacity, Not everybody, but a lot of people they want to start a business because they have some kind of they they want to believe deeply in their own abilities but they don't actually believe in their own abilities or they start one and that's what is so freaking powerful about this kanye documentary (laughs) just to bring it full circle this guy never stopped believing himself let me be very very clear kanye west could have had an incredibly set. He was making 50 grand per beat. He would do beats for people. Making 50 grand per song. So you have a guy who literally could be a multi-millionaire as a producer. And there's on video, him as a young man, early 2000s, giving, like somebody would call him a rapper producer. He says, nah man, I'm a rapper. And they're like, yeah, but you're also like a good producer. He's like, yeah, but that's like, You know, that's like saying it's a, it's a child actor. You know, he's like, I'm a rapper and you should compare me to rappers. And you see this guy so driven, Kanye West earned his success. And I don't even think it's debatable. If you watch this documentary, which are, it's real video from him coming up. What you're going to do is you're going to see a man who had every excuse to just hang out, make beats and make a crazy, crazy living. A really good living, unlike anything he he had he could have had before, but he didn't stop.
1: You know who, who this reminds me of? Who was also very publicly documented over the last twenty years plus whatever it is? Yeah, uh, LeBron James. Mm. You know he was the number two uh, high school basketball player in the U.S. He, I did not. Know he that. was not number one, and the number one guy. It's kind of ironic. I forgot his name. And uh, there's there was a very couple good pieces done over the years of um, between. Uh, between uh, ESPN and a couple other other sources, basically they they were profiling these two young guys at the time. Everybody knew who these two were, and you know LeBron was hyped up at the time, of course, big time. He was the first, I think, Nike high school athlete. I, I, maybe I'm wrong on that, but anyway, the tons of hype. And in the case of those two kids, one saw money, you know, essentially come in. Well, they both saw money come in, but one saw the money and went, "Oh, okay, I'm the man. This is awesome. This is great." I'm now the dominant everything. He was the number one guy, and LeBron, meanwhile, was like, "Oh no no, I'm the next MJ. I'm gonna I'm gonna be Jordan. I'm gonna like I'm I'm shooting for that. I'm not shooting to be the number one guy today in high school. I'm I'm gonna be the all time number one. Right. And you can argue whether he got there or not, but is he is he in the top top five all time? He's 100%. in the conversation at the very hundred percent, right? And but that came with. A kind of psychotic drive and you look at the the reason i like this sort of thing is that people who have this irrational belief in themselves yep. you can argue okay plenty of natural talent plenty of opportunity you can tell me all this stuff all day long but the point is there's always somebody else who had all the same gifts so to speak always who did not achieve anywhere close to the that kind of level and of anything. more
0: gifts and more opportunity definitely and it, it blows my mind that we spend that anybody anybody Will rain on somebody's success by throwing around, oh, they got lucky. Like what a what a way to simplify it. Like, oh, they got lucky. It's it's total BS. It's total BS. And sure, is luck part of it? Absolutely. Sure. But guess what? A lot of people get lucky. You know, Jim Rohn, Roan, I believe, says, no, 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 no. Sorry, it's Les Brown, mm-hmm. and it's in that video that I love. Where he says it's better to be prepared for an opportunity and not get one than to get an opportunity and not be prepared.
1: Such a great quote.
0: And now let me take this a step further. Kanye documentary.
1: Wait, hold on. I, 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 I,
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, okay. you can slip in, but I'm coming back to this.
1: <laughs> the uh, I want to I want to bring back that LeBron focus thing. Okay. He, he said this from the time he was 18 years old. Every year, he would be challenged on it and, you know, pushed back until, until people finally stopped asking about it when he was in his late 30s and multiple rings, you know, the whole deal. Right. I have met so many startup founders. And in the last, I don't know, the last five, six years, I can think of a couple where they've had all the success in the world. I actually worked for, for one specifically. Where he he built and sold seven companies. The guy was a very established founder, um, but when you find somebody with a psychotic belief about something,
0: mm-hmm.
1: success doesn't really change them. It just it just they're like yeah of course it's almost like a like a secondary thing to them, and it's like oh well anyway, and they want to get back to the thing about you know their psychotic focus is all about. Uh, we know a couple of these people that, that we've, uh, we've sort of, uh, <laughs> internally, uh, I guess joked around with about how cool they are about their boom, you know, that completely yeah. uh, their personalities are so strong. And a lot of that strength comes from the focus that they have yep. about what they're trying to build and how passionate they are about this. Right. I think that type of thing is very hard to, uh, I, for, I think you can amplify it in yourself and you can develop it in yourself. Yep. Uh, you definitely can, but it's hard to, to get to where they are without having that that level of insane focus and belief.
0: Yeah, I mean, Grant Cardone, who I do not like, but wrote a book called Be Obsessed or Be Average. Mm. I read the book, and it's not a great book. (laughs) You could just read the title and know exactly what the book is. I don't even think he quotes one study. (laughs) It is just a repeat of the exact same thing, but anyway i did gain I, a g- good point. I got value from the book that's all that matters to me if i get one thing it was worth it <clears throat> and i read the book even though i don't like grant cardone so anyway you know learn from many everyone especially if people are more successful for you from from then you then you can learn from them anyway be obsessed or be average is i think a really powerful statement and you have to have some kind of irrational belief in yourself if you're going to start a company and you're going to Strive to build a really big business and that's what startup founders do and it's
1: And this is hard. This also bleeds into your team hugely mm. because if you find someone who they've they're good they're, they're very talented. Maybe they they've built a cool product Maybe they've done something but they don't have that same level of insanity in, yep. in a good way I mean that you know with, with that focus and belief and People can almost smell it. You know yep. what I mean? Like it's a so. If you don't have that, and you're building out a team, and then you run into the first little st- structural problem of, of, you know, communication across your teams, for example, and yeah. that starts to stress you out, or you're not very happy about the the content that's being put out by the rest, of, and you know, all these little niggly things start to t- start to kind of uh, start to happen. Uh, the person who does not have that 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 next level factor of of focus is going to start to look a little bit. I don't know. Uh, rough around the edges and not as inspiring for the team itself
0: yeah well inspiring for the team that's an important piece here because having that kind of self-belief and that focus really does inspire the rest of the people around you for example Kanye West all right let's do it <laughs> or shall I say yay you know he had a group of people around him who really believed in him because he believed in himself right and he had, I mean, he literally had a guy walking around with him taking video, like building a documentary in 2000, I think 1999 is when he started. So you have this guy who's like, he's literally rapping along his CD to like the admins at these record labels. They're like, I'm trying to do my job. Like how, who are you? And he's playing it, playing music and he's rapping, like looking at him just next level stuff to strangers. And he eventually gets a record deal rockefeller records and he's fired up he's like i finally got my record deal because no one would sign him finally gets a record deal they shelf him and after a year he still doesn't have the funds released for him to actually put together his own album his wow. first album college dropout which by the way is one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time One of the greatest. I think if you if you look up the list of like classic hip hop albums, I'd be blown away if College Dropout isn't on every single one of them. One of the classic classic hip hop albums. They were not releasing the funds. I think it wasn't really clear in the documentary, but I think they just wanted his beats. So like, let's sign him. He'll make beats for our guys. So they won't do it. They won't do it. You want to know what Kanye West does? Takes thirty three thousand dollars out of his own pocket. And produces a music video for through the wire on his own didn't know that it is unbelievable so he goes does the whole music video a year after he was signed gets a whole group of people together he'd been so crazy over the past year like talking to people he was getting studio time by like meeting up with like Pharrell and like these other people who were, were making music and saying, like, hey, can I can I get ten minutes at the end of your thing if you're done? So like they would finish using the studio and he would take whatever the leftover time was to try to record, you know, whatever he was recording. He ends up making this music video, does a little video launch to show everybody, gets a bunch of people to come. He thought there were gonna be like forty people to show up, two hundred came, including the head guy at Rockefeller Records. Plays a music video, everyone loves it, right? finally release the funds for him to make his album and the entire time he does not say anything negative about Rockefeller Records
1: so important he
0: doesn't blame them he doesn't talk shit at all and instead focuses on what he can control which is I'm making a music video for my record and then makes it convinces them to release the funds makes one of arguably one of the best hip hop albums of all time that is inspirational
1: to me. I mean, so uh, fantastic. And if you're going to go off about Kanye or yay, right. Um, then I'm going to hit you with uh, with the story that, uh, that I think uh, I've told you many times, but for anybody curious, I'm a huge uh, soccer fan specifically of Liverpool and what Jurgen Klopp, the manager of Liverpool did for that team is, if you want to talk about organizational change, from the, top, uh, from the top down, um, it's incredible. People laughed at him at his first press conference, but he basically sort of said, I'm here to turn you from doubters into believers. And he did all these things along the way that people were, um, you ever seen that, that video of the, the dancing guy on the side of the mountain at that music festival? Where, oh, yeah, yeah you no know what I mean, where the dude is just dancing by himself. And then a couple people sort of come over with him, kind of making fun of him, I think. But like, you know, just kind of just doing it also. But then a couple people start to for real show up to also dance along. And then suddenly there's this rush of people that come over and, and it turns into a like a, a genuine dance party with everybody just wanting to be part of it. And that's an interesting kind of moment. It's been used a ton now, and like it's probably twelve year old video. I think every leadership thing on LinkedIn kind of shares yeah, it I'm now. Sure, yeah. But it's um, but it's a great example. And, and with Klopp, he did exactly those things. He knew people were literally laughing at him, and he did not care. He's like, "I'm <laughs> it, that's totally fine. Do your thing. I'm here to, to to turn my crowd of people into genuine believers." That's the problem. Isn't the money? The problem isn't the system that we play. The the you know those aren't the problems. Uh, the problem is a cultural disbelief we have now and uh, I'm here to change that. And that's such an insane thing to get up in front of a city and say, yeah. and, uh, and he did, he did all these little things, you know, you, you, uh, you mentioned the Ted Lasso sort of series, yeah. you know, it's a goofy comedy, but there are elements of that first, uh, those first few episodes, because that's what the, the character was written for to be a funny ad thing, but they turned it into this thing where the first few episodes were similar levels of insane positivity um, and, and, you know sort of unshakable confidence um that's confidence in, in the people really more than anything too uh, in yourself and in your people
0: yeah it's i mean it's so important if you don't have confidence in yourself why would your people
1: 100 percent.
0: you know they there'd be no reason to yeah I, I honestly think you might even be a little crazy to believe in somebody who doesn't have a very obvious belief in them th- themselves you know and that's one of the things that when I watch stuff like even you know what you just mentioned um, also like the Ted Lasso thing the Kanye do- documentary like all the, when I'm watching these people who believe they can accomplish something that is crazy like I'm gonna get win a Grammy it's like it's, it's just it you can't help but admire somebody like that because you're like I want to believe in myself that much i want to be able like, you remember when you're a kid you felt like you could do anything and some people are able to keep that self-belief yep. other people lose it, and you lose it most pretty early in life it. most yeah. people do almost everybody and that's what i felt like when i was watching the kanye thing is i'm seeing somebody who has that childhood belief in their own abilities and is not afraid to tell the entire world because i i think there's there's a scale right there's There's the people who wildly believe in themselves and make sure everybody knows how much they believe in themselves. There's people who believe in themselves but socially don't express that as much. And then there are people who just don't really believe in themselves and they kind of want to. And you you talk to people who have had a business idea forever. Like how many people have you met who are go like, you know, man, I thought of the idea for Slack before they were even around, but I never took action on it. It's like, okay, that's going to be your story for the rest of your whole life. You know, I had a good idea and I just didn't do anything. It's like, oh, it turns out doing something is pretty important part of the equation.
1: Um, I don't want to tell you my business idea because I'm afraid somebody's going to steal it. Right. right. Oh, classic.
0: yeah. Classic. All these idea thieves that execute flawlessly.
1: I need to take another course before I'm allowed to, before I can, I can do something on this. Right. I need to get my business cards, you know, that, that that kind of thing
0: yeah, yeah i'm just you know i'm waiting to get my llc figured out and then i'll <laughs> that's a, one arguably my favorite one when they tell me they need their llc done it's like Dude, why don't you go sell something go close a deal and then why don't you make an llc like <laughs> why are you making an llc first um anyway it's, it's just a it's really inspiring being around people who believe in themselves
1: so it's really inspiring maybe, maybe i can throw this out as, as, a, as a question for any listeners out there uh what is something that you are irrationally confident about in your life? Mm. You know, there's, and I think the reason that, that I, I put this out there, like a lot of these, like these types of, of subjects that are, can be classified as a little bit woo woo. Um, if you, if you don't buy into them, they are woo woo. They, they don't work. They, they, they're, totally. they're nothing, you know, yeah. they, they're throwaway ideas. But if you buy into them, I think it's an interesting chance because as an adult, as a, as a, as an adult human <laughs> in this culture, where else are you going to get that chance to sort of sit? There? Nobody's going to do it for you. Yep. so what is an area of your life what is something specific that you can you can identify that you just have an insane level of confidence in that you're interested in that you love that you th- you think you can achieve something in this direction in the next six months in the next ten years whatever it is but if you put a time frame and a goal on something I'd be I'd be really curious to, to hear back from anybody really um, maybe if you want to drop a comment or something or, or shoot us an, an email um, we take this stuff really seriously and it's uh, I mean, we just added mastermind groups, for example, maybe that's a good topic to touch on for a second. We just added mastermind groups to the community at Forrest at, uh, the all access community. And, um, it was just such a great chance to see, like in, in my, my group, there was, uh, uh, Jeffrey, Bill and Samson, and then myself. So small, like, I think I had the smallest group, but it was, um, it was a really interesting chance to just see people who had different organizations. We're all working at different places except Jeffrey who's with us. But, um, Role in different places different uh, different cities probably different stages of life too frankly and um, it was really interesting to watch a group who are you know in a sense disconnected in many ways come together and just say no you know what we're gonna get insanely fired up for a couple of, of our goals for the next month and we're gonna sit down and actually act as as the accountability partners for each other mm-hmm. check in with each other make sure that things actually come through for each other I, I think that's that's a I haven't had that in I, mean, I had that once in in a, in a group I joined in twenty fifteen, and I, I stuck with that crew for maybe three or four years and it was really helpful. So I hope this is that for us too here. um but I, so I, I'm excited to see where where this can go. yeah, so I think you have to practice it. you have to you have to foster it. Well, I'd be curious
0: to hear your thing. so you asked the audience you know, what's something that they think is they're uniquely good at, or how did you phrase the question to the audience? Uh,
1: yeah, so something that, it a goal or a specific, a specific thing that you are, that you have a, both, a, that you think you're, you're, you can be great at, maybe put it that way. Okay. What's yours? Storytelling. Okay. Um, and how that, how that's measured, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but, but yeah. the, but I use it all the day, like basically every day in work. Um, I've been using it for years it's it took me a while to actually see value in it to be honest which is kind of funny like the whole thing as a writer you're constantly there's this uh um you always feel inadequate when you're working with technical teams and you're the one non-technical person and mm-hmm. the, it, so i've learned now that it's actually a strength i always thought it was a weakness and it took me years to sort of unpack that and, and re, readjust it um and i mean financially also when you don't believe that your thing is valuable what do you think that's going to do to you financially yeah. right you're not going to be exactly making the, a killing. Uh, but when you can flip it and understand where the value is start to connect it back to everybody's value, um, as a business totally changes things. Um, but yeah, so for me, it's storytelling and the way that I've sort of challenged myself to get better at this, um, cause you know, my background is as a copywriter. I've been, I've spent a long time now in the, in the business space talking about, you know, traditional sales copy. But, uh, in the last couple of years, I've been taking uh, courses on fiction writing and uh, as Kyle will tell you, I've been talking uh, his ear and pretty much anybody who'll listen to me uh, off about um, about building characters the right way, not sort of in, in the way that a lot of marketing teams do it nowadays, but in a way like fiction writers do it, where we can get deep and actually create awesome little stories for our people. So that's an example where I think I can do something pretty awesome that I, I, both, I, I love irrationally and I'm irrationally confident that I can be epic at. That's
0: awesome. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. How about you? Um, you know, let me, let me give you a little space to just think about that for a second. Right. I, I I do want to. In the last year or or maybe two now, it's funny if I time to put a frame on on Boris, but as you have gotten busier and busier, and then you know you're you're constantly in a battle to like manage your time properly. Do you have space to think about this enough?
0: Uh, I don't. Um. I don't think very much. <laughs> <laughs> weird to say is that weird to say um, I don't think very much okay I. Um, you read a lot I read a lot and I, I'm like I'm a reactive thinker you
1: create a lot too
0: I create a lot so like I my relationship with thoughts I think it's a little different than... <laughs> I don't know uh, how to describe this um, <clears throat> I don't no I don't have a lot of time to sit down and like think about stuff that I'm uniquely good at. But I also like don't think that way. You know, like I'm very focused on the objective. I'm an objective oriented thinker. What's the objective? I'm going to think about that objective. When I run into roadblocks, I think about the, I'm a reactive thinker. So okay. as things happen, I read things, things happen, I think. But I don't like sit down. I reflect when something happens. Okay. I, like, I don't sure. sit down and think like. No, I, I get it you know, what direction, you Where? Know, what are, what are my skills? Like, I don't think about that very often, Sure. but I think there's some things that I'm uniquely good at and could probably be the best in the world at. I think there's a handful of things. Okay. <laughs> I, have a, I have a lot of self-belief. Um,
1: do you have one you'd like to share?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I'm a phenomenal speaker. Hmm. And I think if I would apply myself in, in a way to where I'm going on stages and I'm speaking from the stage, I would do really, really well.
1: I could see that. I little quick side note. When uh, we went to a, a conference uh, back in October, uh, Kyle and I, and we, uh, while we were there, <laughs> it's kind of funny to be. I was I was in uh, the, the sort of the cafeteria section having lunch and, uh, you know, doing my thing, just kind of like sitting down with strangers. And, hey, how's it going? What's up? And kind of having our meals. And everybody was doing the thing at conferences where they're sort of like, you know, that it's a little bit of small talk. It's a little bit of networking talk. It's a little bit of whatever. And it's, it's nice, but it is what it is. Right. It's right, kind of right. standard. You know, people are, you know, a little stale little stale little kind of little artificial where it's like yeah, so yeah, yeah. what are three things that you know that kind of that kind of conversation <laughs> so i was sitting with a uh, with this woman who had uh who just recently sold her business and uh and she was doing a lot of these like kind of like uh, uh i guess kind of yeah structured interview questions almost in the conversation so she hit me with it she hit the other person at the table with it and then a couple and then uh, and then you walk over and i hadn't seen you kind of all day so i was like i was like oh this is kyle this is the guy i was talking to you about and uh and so she turns around and hits you with one of these uh, with one of these questions <laughs> these too and she, questions. what is your what's your superpower that, that was the question that's right that's and right. and uh everybody else kind of like sort of i think out of out of like a little bit of of misplaced politeness or something would just, or, or, or maybe just they haven't thought about these kinds of things. They, would uh, sort of go, oh well, I suppose that you know uh, I'm, I'm very good at like empathy and like listening to people and being, you know, it's one yeah, of these yeah, things like yeah. interview questions, like, oh, my weakness is I'm, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but when you walked over. How do I how do I put this? She she turns around to ask you, and without skipping a beat, like the the question was not out of her mouth yet, and she's what's your superpower? And you go leadership, <laughs> and you just got of yeah, like, I think immediately I immediately hit her with it.
0: And I think I said I build really good teams. I don't think I said leadership.
1: No, I think you said leadership.
0: Okay, maybe I said leadership. I'm pretty sure you said leadership I, said teams.
1: I think you might have followed up with that maybe, maybe. but um, no, you said, you said you said you're a really good leader. That's what it was, mm-hmm. and uh, and you said it with such goddamn commi- <laughs> can we swear on this uh, uh, conviction I so. that um, I think it was it was a really interesting moment because it was it was I I just seen her do th- with like about ten people who'd come in and out of the table right right you were the first one that actually like caught her off guard and yeah she had
0: no response for me
1: nothing and it was I think it was also the most genuine answer.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's something I do think that I'm, I'm good at, you know, I, I think I do a good job building teams. I feel like I do a good job leading teams. I do a great job in my opinion, giving ownership of things mm-hmm. that I once took ownership of, <laughs> which confirm. I think is really hard. Um, and it's hard for me too. So it's not like, Oh, it's super easy for me to give up ownership of certain things. It's very hard. Like I, I still want to be involved in all this and all this stuff, but, um, I'm good at separating myself and by no means am I even close to perfect but there's people that I look up to that are phenomenal leaders that I think did pretty amazing things that I feel I have the potential to follow in those footsteps. You know, like you probably know this already but John Laguerre, the former CEO of T-Mobile, someone I admire greatly. I love his energy. He's such a personality, that guy. I mean, he did slow cooker Sundays. as the CEO of (laughs) T-Mobile. He had a pink, like, uh, slow cooker and a crock pot he had a pink crock or a magenta excuse me a magenta crock pot that with the t mobile logo on it he wore a t-mobile mobile like outfit and he would like make a recipe every sunday and he would read how well t-mobile is doing we've added this amount of things like he's talking about all the wins what a character but he turned t-mobile around Right, like T-Mobile was such a joke of a of a yep. cell provider. It was almost like you you use T-Mobile. Like, what are you doing? And now they're really, really well known and very well respected. He did that. That was good leadership that did that. And so I take leadership very seriously, and there, I have a lot to learn. No doubt about that. But I do think I have the potential to be uh, to be extraordinary at that. And I try every day to like just improve a little bit so I can live up to that potential hopefully one day.
1: So I think once, yeah, I I do not think any of us are anywhere close to done. But the one thing I want to call out is that often people will have very disconnected life and goals. So if that creates a lot of cognitive dissonance, like, I believe I could be great at this thing, but then I never get to practice it and I never get to do it. And then I always in my heart, in my soul, feel like I'm not doing the right thing. I don't and I don't feel fulfilled. Whereas if you feel like you're on a journey to that thing that you care about, right, if you're just taking a tiny little step every day towards that thing that you care about, that can feel amazing.
0: Dan, it does. Yeah, we talk about, we've talked about this so much, Dan, you and I, but this idea of your reality and then your ideal state. And that gap is an important gap because that's the journey. And we're all striving to get to our ideal state. The problem is if your ideal state and your reality are very different, so there's a big gap, and you feel like you don't have the power to make that ideal state a reality, that's when everything crumbles. And that's that's where suffering comes from because you're like, I'm powerless to get myself to my ideal state. If that's the case. You got to change the ideal state.
1: But but this is also why I think that's such a good question in interviews in the onboarding process. It's something where you people are not used to being asked this question, and it's one that I think is vital. Um, and frankly, I'd never heard it until coming here, um, where it was it was really part of the whole process to say. Again, academically, I've heard of this, but I've never really right. seen it in action. And it's this idea of like, okay, well, what do you actually want? Yeah. Well, you know,
0: they, they make fun of that question now. I see posts on LinkedIn like, oh, where do you see yourself in five years? Such a lazy question, blah, blah, blah. I can maybe said like that it is, but I don't think it is. I think it's a very important question. And just because you don't know where you're going to be in five years doesn't mean you shouldn't try to hire people who do. Yep. Like I want people with ambition and drive and have a vision for future success. I don't care if they know exactly what they're going to be doing. I'm not sure is an acceptable response to that question. But they better follow up with some idea, some fuzzy idea yep. of where they're going to be. Are, or, or are you just trying to do a job, which is totally fine. Some people, that's their objective. They're like, look, I just want to be really good at this thing. I want to make a lot of money. I want to prioritize work-life balance. I was actually just talking to somebody, um, a sales rep, who that's their goal. They're like, look, if I can make 200, 300 grand a year and spend most of my free, all my free time with my family and only have to work four days a week, that's what I would like to do until I retire yep I mean. yeah no, I'm not here to stop you. I, I support you in that endeavor at least you know that, that, that that's what you're looking for. And they're high performers and they're doing really well like he he is really, really successful. He's a great salesperson. That's his objective. No, you're not getting pushed back from me. but as a general rule, I like to hire people. Who believe they have the potential to do great things and have the confidence to tell me that they believe that. That's
1: that's so much part of this. Like, I mean, um, I, what came to mind when when I was thinking about that was uh was uh the the idea of how some people do the digital nomading. And I think that mm-hmm. if if it's done properly, it can be an amazing thing. You know, people who say no, I want to travel, great, go travel. Like, yep. you know, if don't make it a thing that it's like, you know, one day when life is perfect, I'm going to go do it. It's a um, <laughs> there's this, there's this famous uh, uh, quote from the Beatles, uh, one of the Beatles uh, that something like a uh, life is what happens when you're making plans. Mm. And I think that's, that's something where people are, it's a good sign to me when I, when somebody is acting on their ambitions and acting on their, on their goals. And even if it's not perfectly lined up with me, if even if it's not the right opportunity, I'd like to see somebody who is like that, who has clarity and is doing something about that clarity.
0: Right. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Well, I think this is probably a good spot to end. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think we didn't get to like about uh, three quarters of the topics we wanted to hit. But hey, uh, Kanye was... West, man. I will go watch.
0: When you talk about Kanye West, it dominates the entire conversation, and that's the power of that man. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I get he's nuts. but That's a good documentary.
1: <laughs> Healthy way then.
0: Yeah, I think we should all watch that documentary. What do you think? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, folks.